Welcome to the Alchemize podcast, where every episode we explore one big question. What does it mean to thrive in our modern world? I'm your host, Maya Nazareth, and every episode I will be bringing you an expert to help you level up, alchemize your human potential, and become more of the woman you dream you could be. Here we're talking about every dimension of thriving, nutrition, fitness, community, purpose, business, relationships, and more. Some of you may know us as a women's Brazilian jiu-jitsu brand, and we are. So we'll have many guests from the jiu-jitsu world, but we believe that martial arts is just a piece of a bigger story about thriving and female ferocity. And that's the story we want to tell. Women owning everything that they are and how you can craft a life that you love. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Natty Boss. Natty is a nutritionist who helps women optimize energy, recovery, endurance, and performance using science. She's also a judo and jiu-jitsu brown belt, a breathwork facilitator, and a businesswoman. I really enjoyed talking to her. We explored everything from nutrition fundamentals, to the psychology of nutrition, to eating disorders, to how our menstrual cycles affect our training. This podcast is a wide-ranging conversation full of amazing tactics you can use to optimize your life, your nutrition, and your training. But I'll let Natty tell you more about that. Let's jump into it. Hey everyone, so today I'm sitting down with Natty Boss to talk all about nutrition and optimization. Um, We're going to start off and she's going to tell us a little bit more about what she does. Yeah, so um, I'm a dietitian, so I'm a clinical dietitian, but I focus more on sports performance. Um, I've been a lifelong athlete, so that's always been a passion of mine, fitness, um, athleticism, and I knew I wanted to do nutrition kind of since high school, maybe even before that. Um, I had like the start of my wellness journey was kind of around sixth, seventh grade when I started having any awareness that food played a role in how I felt. And that, that kind of came at like seventh grade. And when I started to make some shifts, um, I just noticed tremendous difference in energy at such a young age. So it was kind of weird because not a lot of people have that awareness at such a young age, but I just was able to make these dots and connect them. And I was like, this is just transforming because I really felt like crap. And I didn't realize I felt like crap until I felt good. And then I was like, oh, wow, like I, it's the food I'm eating that's making me feel bad. And that kind of sparked my interest in nutrition. And that was really the the destination and journey I've been on ever since that moment. I've always been dedicated and knew that I wanted to be an expert in nutrition. And that that drove all of my behaviors and all of the um, paths that I took kind of through high school. I knew I wanted to do nutrition. I I did a bachelor degree in college um, and then basically became an RD. And I've been literally doing it ever since. So it's just something that from a dietitian perspective, nutrition has been a huge passion of mine and from a holistic standpoint, which I feel like is really important because the huge um, value of mine that I do. So um, what, I do, what I decided to focus on was nutrition, but how can I specifically work with athletes? Because me being a lifelong athlete, I really felt connected to athletes because it's a different dynamic. It's a different lifestyle than people who don't do any sports. And I really never even knew what that was. I was never that person to not do a sport. So I really don't know what that, I don't want to say average life is, but like, I don't know what that is because I've always been an athlete. So I felt really called to help athletes because I've, it's not like I was a, a perfect athlete. I had lots of ups and downs mentally, physically, um, you know, eating disorders, things like that. And so when I was able to come on the other side of a lot of those things, I just felt really called to apply my life experience with my education to help other people in that same boat. And that's kind of what created what I do today. Okay, awesome. So how do you think that nutrition for athletes differs from nutrition for, I don't know, just everyday people who may not be doing something as vigorous as jujitsu or even CrossFit, some kind of dynamic movement? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 100%, it's going to be the amount of food that we eat. We are absolutely going to require more food because we are expending more energy um, through exercise. So that's like the most biggest, the biggest thing that I see across the board. And the issue I see with athletes, because we are so 
indoctrinated in a certain way with society is always eating less is better, but it's actually completely opposite approach when it comes to athletes. And my whole life has literally been trying to reframe and help women rewrite that mindset around food being a negative thing and really looking at it as like your friend as an athlete, because it really is everything in order to be able to perform. So I feel like the, the biggest difference is uh, two things I would say, and that's the quantity of food. So again, increasing your calories based on the amount that you're training. And then two is going to be like timing your meals. So not just, I think timing is an important concept for everyone, but what, where it really differs is the pre-workout and the post-workout, right? That's kind of where it really applies to athletes because we need, because we're expending, we're breaking down more muscle tissue than the average person. We need to be able to make sure that we're fueling afterwards so that we are promoting the muscle growth. And it's not just, you know, we're not just depleting our body, but we're actually refueling it after the work afterwards. So those are the two biggest things that really differentiate athletes uh, from the general population in regard to nutrition. Okay, that's really interesting. I think what you said about women and athletes getting this messaging pretty early on um, to eat as little as possible and that if you eat as little as possible, you're going to keep the body that you want and the shape that you want um, and that it's even healthier for you is probably a message that's pretty difficult to break down. How do you go about starting to uh, disassemble those messages uh, when you work with clients? Yeah, it's a full-time job. (laughs) It's it's definitely, I mean, I always tell people it is so much easier to teach actual nutrition than to the beliefs behind the nutrition. Um, it's easy to just teach broccoli is a vegetable. That's really simple. And we just memorize that. Great. But it's the belief system that is so instrumental. And so that's why a huge focus of what I do is bringing awareness to your current belief system. Because the first thing, so how I'll work with athletes is always identifying where what do you believe about food? What is your relationship to food? What's your relationship to your body? Get super clear on how do you describe this instead of just going through the motions, instead of just like the automatic, oh, this is just every day what I do. It's like, okay, let's pause for a second. And why are you just doing these things? What are these fundamental beliefs that you have that are causing this action to take place? Right? So what is the fundamental belief that you have around fat that's causing you to make sure you're not eating fat in your diet? Right. And a lot of the times it'll be, oh, fat makes me fat. Right. So then my question will be, okay, well, where did that stem from? And then a lot of it's, oh, well, you know, growing up, I was told that, you know, you can't eat a lot of fat or you're going to gain fat. And it was a big part of my household where everything was fat free food. So, you know, there was no fat. So it kind of bred this internal fear of fat because it was something that I was, my environment was surrounded by that belief. And so what we do is we carry that belief over to kind of, our current situation and we don't adapt or change knowing that we have a different lifestyle now. Not only are we older and we're adults, but now we're athletes. And there's like, there's all these different dynamics that have to be considered. And so when I work with athletes, it's really getting clear on what are the belief systems you have, where did they stem from? And then that's really the starting point of, okay, now that we have that, I do a lot of journaling tools and techniques and breath work, of course, Um, to really be able to get clear on the ideology of those beliefs, because that is the only way to change. You cannot change if you don't directly um, come into contact and get clear around the beliefs that you have. And that's why people will fail, because they don't address the beliefs. They just try to change things. So they'll be like, oh, I just want to lose weight but they don't realize that they have a fundamental belief that's blocking them from actually being able to lose weight in a healthy way. And they just restrict themselves. Right. But they don't actually address the relationship to food, the relationship to body. And, and that's really um, kind of the fundamental piece that I approach for the sustainable transformational change. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you because I think you talk about a really holistic picture of health. It's the movement and the mindfulness. And I'll ask you a little bit later about uh, what you think are those main pillars of health. But yeah, I think you do talk about the movement and the mindfulness and the psychology of nutrition. And I think that's really important for the success of an individual. But I'm curious because you touched on your own struggle with eating disorders and how did you start to disassemble some of that messaging in your own mind, in your own body? Yeah. So 
we all have different makeups. Um, and so one of the positive things about myself, I believe to be a positive trait that's just really helped me in general is this insatiable curiosity. And that's just something that's within myself from a little kid. I'm constantly asking why and why, and I never take an answer as just truth. I'm always like, okay, that's an option, but like, I need to explore more. I need to understand more until I feel satisfied with the answer or I had the life experience to be able to give my own insight. That has been something that has always been across the board for me. So um, as far as kind of my eating disorder and where I learned to, it's kind of, because I, I preface that because it was kind of weird how it came into it. I didn't really have somebody guide me um, to the to getting where I am. I kind of, it was my own will wanting to fix it so bad. And I think the biggest thing that was my motivator was I didn't want to be a hypocrite because I knew from a young age, I always wanted to be in nutrition. But as I started to learn more, I realized that I actually had a very flawed relationship with food and a very flawed relationship with my body. And I knew that I can't teach nutrition if I'm, if I have a disordered relationship with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I take pride in that because that takes a lot of integrity um, and honesty to be like, you know, I'm not just going to teach this and, you know, behind the closed doors, I'm going to do something else. You know, I was like on a mission. I was like, I know that nutrition, it has changed my life, but the way that it was, the way that happened was basically I was eating unhealthy, like really unhealthy, traditional American diet. And then I learned how to eat a little bit better. I incorporated portion control, cut back on like, I was eating like gallons of drinking gallons of soda. So like I cut back on like basic things like that. When I started learning, I would just Google. I was like, I'm just Googling, like, how do I lose weight or how do I, you know, eat healthy? And these are some of the concepts that were coming up. And, you know, at seventh grade, I wasn't looking at like peer reviewed articles. I was just like, okay, whatever Google says, I'm going to do. So I was just trying different things and I saw results, I saw progress and I felt better. That was the motivating factor for me. It wasn't the, the fact that I lost weight and I was physically looking good was a great motivator. But honestly, I just was like in awe of how much energy I had because I was constantly sluggish, even at seventh grade. I mean, I was sluggish and I was an athlete at that time, but like after meals, I wanted to sleep. I was tired and I was like, you know, I thought that was the normal. I literally thought that was normal after you ate until I started making changes. And then I kind of just had this completely, sh this big shift. And I was like, holy crap, there's something here. And I'm kind of obsessed with it. And then, so that was kind of the starting point. And then when I, I kind of got too obsessed with it to the point where it, I was hyper-focused on it. And that's what kind of led to an eating disorder because, and that's very common. It's like when people start understanding like the health factor and, and then all these things start to come in, like, the factory farming and all of this, I started like, you know, almost eliminating things from my diet. And then realizing I didn't realize at that time being a growing female who's in high school, you know, at that age, we're still growing through our hormones and all of that, where we need more food. I was actually eliminating food. I was actually becoming more vegetarian. And that's so, so common in girls who are teenagers. It's, it's, it's a, such a high rate of women who turn vegetarian in their high school years. And, part, and the, the reasons are kind of mixed. Some of it's weight loss, some of it's health reasons. But the fact of the matter is we're generally um, decreasing our intake. And this is actually where we need the most intake because we're growing. But I didn't know any of that science. I was just kind of following that. And I realized... I started getting a little bit obsessed with the physical appearance because who doesn't when they enter high school, right? Am I right? Like <laughs> all the peer pressure, all that stuff, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be looking a certain way because that's what all the popular girls are doing or that's what the judgments are happening. And then all of a sudden this social interaction kind of took me astray from my original goal for a while. And I got a little bit caught up in all of that. And it, then I internalized it and kind of was just kind of woke up with an eating disorder one day because I was like, I didn't realize like how bad I actually was doing this. And then when you get there, it's hard to get out because at that point, it's such a mental, a mental turn that happens with an eating disorder. So the biggest thing to get to your point, just a little bit of context, because my journey's very far and wide and lots have got, has gone and been involved in the, this journey. 
Um, but basically, high school was really the lowest of the lowest point for me because that's when I really realized I was like, I am at the worst point as far as nutrition. And I'm, and everybody, and the issue was everybody always viewed me as this epitome of health. And that's like, and that's what literally made me cry like all the time and just be so self defeated because I, because I was like, I would work out and I would do, I would eat healthy, but I was still restricting and I was binging. And I didn't know the psychology behind all that, but I was doing that behind closed doors and I was still, you know, in high school. So I was like, I know that I want to be a dietitian when I get to college. So this shit has to stop like yesterday. Like I'm so done with self-sabotaging. Like, how do I fix this? And I was just literally researching. I was like, let me just like, how do I fix this? Like I was uh, the, the most negative self-talk, body shaming, um, body dysmorphia, body mutilation. I mean, I was in a bad space and I was, I was more so upset with the fact that everybody viewed me as this epitome of health, but I was a hypocrite. To me, I was a hypocrite and I couldn't live with myself. I was like, I can't be a hypocrite. I need to speak this truth and walk the talk and I need to do whatever it is to get there because I refuse to take this path if I don't fix this. And um, knowing that my why has always been nutrition and helping people through that, I was like, all right, there's no other option. I just need to fix this. So the biggest thing that helped me was affirmations and mirroring, mirror work. So mirror work is essentially looking at yourself in the mirror and repeating affirmations. It's really getting real with yourself. And instead of, it's a self-observation of looking at yourself and every time a negative thought comes up where it's a self-sabotaging thought or it's something like, oh, you're disgusting. I kind of immediately observe it. And I'm like, okay, well, how can I combat that with a positive affirmation? And I just started with self-help books. I literally just looked up self-help books. I bought a whole bunch. I read them like crazy. And I was like, everything they were recommending that I do, I was like, I'm doing it. Whatever, I like anything. I was so desperate. I was like, anything that somebody's telling me to do that if they think it's gonna help my relationship to food, I gotta do it because I just gotta get out of the space. And the worst part about all of this is that I did all of this not telling a soul. And that I have to say was the hardest part of coming out of that, it wasn't until I was already like kind of in the last cusp of it where I finally told my best friend in high school and I just bawled for like an hour. And it was only because I was holding it in for so long. I had this secret, this secret life that was happening behind closed doors. My parents didn't know, my coaches didn't know, my best friends didn't know, like nobody knew I was doing this. Like to me, it was like this secret life and it was so dark and it was so heavy, it was such a burden because I had to act a certain way in front of everybody else. But then how I really felt about myself was just terrible. And once I finally opened the door to tell somebody, I kid you not, I tell this to people all the time, like 20 weight, 20 pounds lifted off my shoulder. Like I felt so light because I felt like there was finally a burden lifted because I wasn't keeping it a secret. And honestly, ever since that point, I never shut up about it <laughs> because I was like, oh my God, like now I need to tell everybody like the dangers of this and like this, this can't. And that was actually what helped me really pull out of it. The, the, the affirmations really helped with rewiring my brain. And that's one of the elements I teach. But what actually helped me be able to get on the upswing and really heal was the second I told somebody about it. Once I came out of that, like, shell of fear of what people were going to judge me and you know say about me i just had to like get over it i was just like i don't care what they say like this is killing me so i just need to say it you know and i i started with somebody that i trusted and that was i felt super safe so like my best friend and it was just a secret and then just her giving me a little bit of that support because i just thought the whole world was going to crash i thought everybody was going to hate me i thought everybody was going to talk this that and the other and all I needed, needed was that little bit of support. You know, she just gave me a little support. And that was like the external validation that I needed to just be like, it's okay that you're not perfect. You know, it's okay that you're struggling. So that's kind of... Yeah. I think it's so, so powerful that you're sharing this because I think so many women, so many female athletes, we grew up and these habits that we develop when we're in our teenage years, they don't just get better. 
like these habits die hard. And if you don't do the work to improve how you think about food, how you think about yourself, how you think about your body, you will continue to perpetuate the same behaviors and the same ideas into adulthood, even if your lifestyle has changed. Um, and I have a similar story. I mean, I was in high school, I played soccer all growing up. Um, and I was a vegetarian, I was restricting protein, even when my body needed more protein. And I mean, when you're that active, your body just demands, I mean, even if you're not active, your body demands a certain quantity of food. And I'm curious, you're the expert, um, if there's long-term implications while you're developing of that constant restriction. But I just think it's so, so powerful that you're sharing this message. Because so many women are training our athletes and are leading these secret lives like you talk about. I mean, hating their bodies, doing body checks in the mirror, pinching their fat, using weight cuts as basically a vehicle for an eating disorder. Um, to They force themselves to, oh, I have to drop a weight class. Well, no one actually has to drop a weight class. Um, but just to kind of get that goal body that they want. Um, but I think that you sharing your story and being really Absolutely. honest and vulnerable about what you have gone through is really healing for people because I think that there's a huge proportion of women in the population, but women in combat sports as well and female athletes that are suffering. And I think you being honest and vulnerable about your suffering um, really has the potential to heal people. So thank you for that. But I want to transition a little bit here I know that nutrition is really personalized, but when you start taking on a new client, how do you start talking about transitioning them from a standard American diet or a nutrient deficient diet to a diet that's a little bit better for them, a little bit more holistic? Yeah. So I always do the first, the same thing with every single person. And this is something called a three day, a three day food record. So basically with a three day food record, they record their food as they're eating, um, the times of the day, the portion sizes, as well as anything they're drinking for three complete days um, without changing anything. And that is the most critical factor because my whole goal with this is self-awareness. It's helping them have more awareness on what they're eating and, and being aware to their eating patterns. And then what it helps me do is see where, what are they missing? What are the common themes in their eating patterns? So like, okay, the common theme might be, okay, she's skipping breakfast often. Okay, the common theme is she's not eating protein with any meal. So like, I kind of see these common themes. And then from there, I have a specific formula that everybody follows, but we adjust per your body type and your goals and things like that. But the formula is basically, and this formula means the world to me, because it honestly was, it's, a, it's rooted in, the biggest things that helped me heal my eating disorder. And the, uh, this concept is about balance, uh, balance and abundance mindset when it comes to eating. And it's no surprise that when you're in an eating disorder, it's very scarcity minded. It's everything that you can't have. It's omitting, it's eliminating. It's, it's th that negative connotation of subtracting. And what happens is that increases our risk for binging and things like that, because we feel restricted and obligated to a certain small container instead of being able to explore more. So my whole thing is abundance. It's getting clear on where you're at, identifying the missing components, and then adding. So my whole thing is always adding, adding, adding. I tell people all the time that like I have people who will like initially just say like, as soon as I see their food records, like, I know I drink a lot of coffee and I'm like, relax. I'm not going to like freak out at you. What I'm going to tell you is not that you can't drink coffee, but why don't you just add one glass of water every time before you drink coffee? So everything I approach is with adding it's add this first and then see how your body responds. Because when we start to fuel our body with the balance of nutrients it needs, the, the things that we've been compensating, are gonna naturally subside. So the only reason why we crave sugar and we crave caffeine is because we're not fueling it with the nutrients it needs. So instead of, and believe me, there are addictions, like caffeine and sugar is just as addictive as Coke. And I mean, and I mean cocaine, not, not diet Coke. Um, so it's actually not really responsible for a couple of reasons on my part to tell them to subtract because when somebody has been relying on sugar for so long for fuel and we take that away, 
not only is it increasing the risk for binging, but more so it's actually going to affect them on a biological level because you'll go through a detox period. You will actually, um, you'll actually have migraines. You will feel really sick to your stomach. And then that's going to put kind of bad taste in your mouth. Um, to want to continue with a healthy lifestyle because you're like, I don't want to experience that. If, if, if not having sugar means that I'm going to have a migraine, like screw that. I'm just going to keep eating sugar. So that's also a perspective of why you won't, don't want to eliminate foods. You want to focus on fueling your body with the nutrients it needs so that your hormones become balanced. And that's one of the underlying principles of my program is I'm constantly looking at your hormones and kind of like looking for signs that your hormones are balanced. And so um, the best way to do that is give it the nutrients it needs for the, the systems in the body to actually balance out and restore and rejuvenate. So everything is about balancing and adding to the equation. So if they're eating a meal and I notice there's no protein, say they're eating a meal that has, um, like I'm trying to think of something that's, you know, people would say is bad. So let's just say burger and fries, right? So burger and fries, just say that's like a meal that they had. Instead of saying, don't eat those fries because they're fried and they're fat. What I tell them is, okay, if your burger has protein and bread and the fries obviously have fat in your carbs, you have protein and carbs there. So the missing food group is vegetables. So how can we add vegetables to this meal to make it more balanced? So this also helps to eliminate this factor of, oh, I can, I can have fries. I, you're not telling me that I can't have this. I was like, yeah, no, you can absolutely have that, but why don't you eat the vegetables first so you make sure you get the nutrients and then eat the fries just after so that you can still enjoy the foods that you love, but you're ensuring that you have the nutrients you need for basic survival and like thriving essentially. Okay, that's a great segue actually into a question that I really wanted to ask you, um, which is what does thriving mean to you? What do you think are the important dimensions of thriving or what does a life look like where you are thriving? Thriving to me is excelling in every area that you want to excel. So it's thriving at the very minimum is excelling. Like for instance, there is no mediocrity, there is no moderate, there is no average when it comes to thriving in my opinion. Thriving is kind of like, think of where your top is of what you can achieve and add 10 to it. Like that's thriving and like my goal is to help people realize that they have that potential within them when they are able to kind of weed out the things that have been holding them back from getting there, if that makes sense. So you can be thriving in every area of your life. And I truly believe that. And it's been my life's mission to not only teach it, but implement it in my own life. And from a career standpoint, how can you thrive in your career? How can you not just settle? How can you actually be the best of the best, whether it's like mastering your craft or doing something you're so passionate about and leaving a stable job that you don't like, but following your dream, that's thriving. Whether it's nutrition, it's finding that balance between soul foods. I like to call the difference between soul foods and performance foods. Soul foods are basically those indulgences and then that feed the soul because that makes our soul happy. And then we have performance foods, which actually make us thrive and um, just you know be able to run smoothly and optimally. So finding that balance between that is thriving. So to give you a little example of what not thriving is, in my opinion, I used to have something called orthorexia. So that was another transition I had um, out of my eating disorder, or I should say, you know, that was still disordered eating, but out of my bulimia phase, I kind of transitioned into orthorexia, which was basically a unhealthy obsession with eating healthy. <laughs> So basically that means that there was no moderation. I only ate clean, healthy, no, like never veered from that. And that what I, what I realized through that transition. So the first transition was more about physical health. I suffered a lot physically through my bulimia. Um, I had a kind of, uh, what is it called? Esophagitis. I actually had erosions because of the vomiting I had. Uh, brittle nails. I had amenorrhea, which is so popular. I mean, so common in athletes where I didn't have a period and I took pride in that because nobody likes the period. Um, but now I'm like obsessed with my period because I know that means I'm healthy every time I get it. Um, but like there is a lot of, uh, I had actual 
risk for osteoporosis, osteoporosis. I had osteopenia, which luckily is reversible, where osteoporosis is not. If I would have continued my eating disorder for 10 plus years, I would have absolutely had osteoporosis, which means lowering my bone density and increasing my risk for injuries and just dying sooner, honestly. And so um, that was more physical. In college, it was more of a mental health that took a toll for me. So I thought that I like nailed my nutrition. I was like, oh, I'm eating healthy. You know, I was also learning about nutrition in college. So like, as I was learning, I was implementing. I was like, okay, like I'm just eating super clean. Like I'm literally the perfect diet. But I sacrificed a lot of social life for fear of being around foods that were unhealthy. And that was orthorexia. It's not allowing yourself. It's restricting yourself from anything unhealthy for fear of, you know, at the time I thought that I was just having amazing discipline. But honestly, if I was getting real with myself, it was I was just fearful of that food. I still wasn't over it, you know. So um, th that was kind of the, the orthorexia that, that took a turn there. I forgot what was the, the part of the question that made me take a toll into that. Oh, the thriving. Oh, the thriving. Yes. <laughs> so um, so that was where I realized that my ego thought I was thriving because I was eating healthy. But the truth of the matter is I cried every single night because my mental health suffered because I would say no to things I wanted to say yes to because I just was so scared to just be in social environments. And um, so that's not thriving, right? So on paper, oh, she has the perfect diet, but am I actually living life? And the answer is no, I was not. And so that's not thriving. So finding that balance with nutrition is thriving. Finding the balance between training and working your ass off and you know building the body of your dreams and all of that while also prioritizing recovery and rest so that your body can restore and, and thrive run optimally, that's thriving. So for me, thriving is being able to excel in every area of your life. And like I said, it's kind of like setting the bar really high and knowing that you can hit that. Okay, that's an amazing message and an amazing definition of thriving. And I really loved how you talked about the balance of performance foods and soul foods and training and rest and all of us finding that individual balance for ourselves. I think that that's really important. You touched a bit on amenorrhea yeah. and female hormones and how that plays into our health. Um, I was wondering, is are there different things that women should be doing for nutrition, for our training during different hormonal times in the month, you know, whether it's the first couple of weeks or the last couple of weeks or while we're bleeding or ovulating, etc. Absolutely. So, um, as our, uh, we have it way worse than men. <laughs> so, and, and the thing is, this is important to note because so many women beat themselves up because guys can just have all the energy all of the days of the month because they don't have to deal with this cycle that plays a huge factor in our health because it's literally a uh, ebb and flow of these um, hormones. And so basically how it works is our hormones are kind of the highest in the first half of the month. This is when we can really push ourselves and really do the hard intensity workouts. Um, we generally have more creativity, more zest for life. Um, so any projects that you have or anything that you want to do is always best to do it around that first half because that's when our hormones are kind of um, helping us with like our, our brain hormones of like happy hormones and stuff like that are actually higher. It's very common that we have that lack of motivation, that um, lack of motivation, the mood swings, um, just feeling like more fatigued. That's very common as our month goes on. And the biggest thing I've learned is honoring our cycle because what we try to do is we try to force something against our biology. And the truth is our biology is always gonna win. <laughs> um, so we have to kind of switch our egos and instead of fighting the truth that this is just is what it is with the, horm the female body, we need to adjust our training accordingly so that we can also thrive when in the different times of the month. We don't have to have periods of super, super high and super, super low. We can have periods of things being great because we're honoring our cycle. Does that make sense? Yeah, a lot of sense. 
So like as the, the hormones will start to decrease and that the right before we about to basically get our period. So my biggest recommendation with that is giving yourself grace, knowing that this is a normal part of our cycle, learning how you can adapt and change your training to honor how you're feeling. So if you're feeling fatigued and you're feeling tired, but you still want to train, why don't you just flow drill or do the drills and sit out of live training? Because the fact is you're going to have a much worse class if you push through that fatigue and then you're mentally going to be like, and this happened to me in the past, which is why before I actually made the switch mentally, I was my own worst enemy because I would try to push through during my period and I would feel so defeated because my, I would be gassed out. I would have no energy. And then, you know, people who wouldn't really get things on me were getting things on me. And I was like in my head and my kind of stuck in that process of, man, I suck. How did they do this? I'm getting worse, right? We get in our own heads because the truth of the matter is it's not that it's biologically, our body is not supposed to be pushing as hard as we're doing it. So we need to adjust our training accordingly. So maybe this looks like more yoga flows at the end of the month, more flow rolling, um, maybe just some like cycling on the bike, something that still keeps you active, but can honor how you're feeling. Nutritionally, because we have more insulin resistance as we are later into our uh, period towards the end of the month, that's actually one of the most important times. And this is one of the things that will literally throw people off any kind of weight loss goals they have because we have increased insulin resistance during that time. That basically means that if we have extra carbs and extra fried food and extra junk food, that you're just going to store that more as fat versus the beginning of the month. So this is so critical because so many people try to like lose weight and they do good the first two weeks of the month because they feel motivated. They feel excited. But then our hormones start to shift because of our period and they start craving chocolate, they start craving fries, they start craving all this stuff. And instead of making adjustments and maybe like just adding that balance, like I was talking about earlier, where it's like, okay, if you're craving fries, it's normal because of our period, but it doesn't mean you have to eat 10 orders of fries, right? What if you just had a handful of fries with a balanced meal? And this will help satisfy that, but also help keep you on track towards your weight loss goals, as opposed to kind of going all or nothing. All right. Thank you so much for that. I think that this message is really important and one that I don't hear talked about, at least in the jujitsu space very much. I mean, it makes sense. Jujitsu is probably 85 to 90% men. Um, but it's, I think, really important to think about how we feel our bodies at different times in the month and how we're being kind and gracious to our bodies at different types in the month as well. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I think this is going to help a lot of women. Um, I want to pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about your jiu-jitsu journey. Um, I know that you're a brown belt in jiu-jitsu and a brown belt in judo. How did you get started in these sports? What's your journey looked like? What attracted you to them in the first place? Yeah, so um, judo started because um, my instructor and boyfriend is basically a sixth degree in judo. So he kind of always incorporated judo into the curriculum. So I kind of went up the ranks in judo in conjunction with jujitsu. But I originally started in jujitsu um, as far as transitioning to start jujitsu in 2010 ish. But my uh, fun fact is, I originally inquired about jiu-jitsu because I was interested in capoeira. <laughs> I didn't even know what jiu-jitsu was. Um, I am a black belt in Taekwondo. So Taekwondo is a lot of kicking movements and capoeira has a lot of those kicking movements. And as you mentioned earlier, like I love dancing. So I literally thought it was like my life's calling to be a capoeira person because I was like, it's literally a combination of Taekwondo and dancing. Like nothing could be more perfect than that. Um, so at the time they were actually doing capoeira at the academy that I started at, but they were like, oh, so I called in, I was going to inquire for like the first class, like everybody does. Um, and they were like, hey, we don't actually do capoeira anymore. It's still on their website, but they didn't actually do it. So like our guys don't actually, um, you know, co coach that anymore. Are you interested in trying jujitsu? And I was like, I don't really know what that is, but I'll try it. So basically I did my first intro class and I was hooked. So I just kind of started. Um, and because I was always a martial artist, it was very natural to me to want to, it was kind of exciting for me to be a white belt again and start something from scratch. And it really, I really got hooked 
like, I mean, shortly after, maybe like the next class, <laughs> when, um, <clears throat> when I just got my ass handed to me. And I had, I had, I didn't know at the time, but I did have an ego going in the door. I was very fit. I was good in nutrition. You know, I had a lot of the components already. And then I was also a black belt in Taekwondo. So like I was a martial artist. I did nutrition. I was fit. I was like, I got this. And I was getting choked and armbarred and choked and armbarred. And I was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what the hell just happened. All I know is I never want that to be the case again. So I just like signed up and I was like, I'm dedicated to mastering this sport because I, I don't want that to happen. And um, I was already pretty confident from a self-defense standpoint. But it really became clear to me that like, wow, jujitsu is like the ultimate self-defense system. And like, the truth is most, most fights end up on the ground. So I really do need to know how to round out my game because I feel really confident on my feet, but I definitely need to understand this ground world. So that was um, kind of what got me really intrigued in wanting to adopt this as a lifestyle. And then from there, I started competing basically three months in to jiu-jitsu i started like a naga in august at battle at the beach the most iconic uh, naga and my weight belt was pretty quick i mean i remember being i was definitely an overtrainer as a white belt because i was still young you know 18 or something like that i mean i still consider myself young but at 18 i had even buttloads of energy i was doing two to three days um so I was, and when I talk about overtraining, like that's what I refer to. I'm like, I was overtraining, believe me. <laughs> I, I was eating watermelon for lunch. I was not eating a meal. I was eating watermelon for lunch. And then I trained and trained and trained. And I was obsessed with it, like everybody who starts. And um, and I, I realized that I was hitting that burnout phase quick. So actually, weight belt was pretty, pretty good for me. Um, it was very just learning the techniques and, and knowing I was a beginner. So I was okay with losing. Um, but I was, I was doing pretty well as far as competition. It, it wasn't until Blue Belt where all hell broke loose. <laughs> uh, like Blue Belt blues were so real with me. And um, when it comes to summarize the Blue Belt experience, because I did have my Blue Belt for a long time, being that I started jujitsu basically as soon as I was going into college. So I, was, I got my Blue Belt kind of fast, maybe a year, year and a half but I was blue belt for six years. And that's because I was, I basically was in college during that time. So I didn't drive until like junior year. I wasn't able to get to training as much. So like I was, my, my, I just wasn't able to train. So it wasn't until I would train a lot during any winter break, I would come down and do three a days and things like that to make up for it. And then I would basically work there all all the day, all the days during the summer to make up for it. Um, and then slowly but surely after I graduated, I was able to commit more time. And then I finally, in that stretch, it was like six years, period. But it was very, very, Blue Belt was such a blessing because it was really what helped me gain clear around a lot of the mental blocks that I had. Um, fear of failure, perfectionism were huge mental blocks. And it really became clear to me when I got that Blue Belt, right? A lot of people, like when you get that next belt, there's like this pressure that you put on yourself because you're like, okay, well now I'm like at this next level. Like it was all fun and games when I'm a white belt because like I have a white belt, but now I'm like a blue belt. <laughs> so now like I have a certain expectation. I have to start meeting people. I have to do this. And, and of course that's all stuff that you kind of put on yourself, but I am a very competitive person. I mean, from every cellular fiber of my being, <laughs> I'm competitive. I, I have been that way like my entire life. I used to like, and I was always a sore loser as a kid. Like. If I lost a board game, I would like throw the board game in the air. Like I was really, like I had anger issues <laughs> every time I lost. Now that didn't really resurface until I hit blue belt. I was, I would, I would get like destroyed mentally if I lost the match or if the thing is a lot of my matches like was never an annihilation. It was like a two point thing. It was me like sitting back. It was small things but i was so stuck in my head that i wouldn't see the opportunity or i wouldn't be present in the match i was so focused on like not losing and what that does is something i teach now it's like this kind of law of attraction idea that what you focus on you attract 
So when I focus on the fact of not losing, all I could think about was I can't lose, I can't lose, I can't lose, but I'm not actually in the match. I'm not actually changing the reality as I'm there. I'm just too focused on the losing. But what happens is I attract that loss into the match because of my own self-defeating belief. So like blue belt was all of that for me. And also because I was extended as a blue belt, even though I wasn't putting as much time in on the mat those first few years, because I still felt my ego still was like, you're a blue belt for six years, even though my time wasn't as consistent. It's not like I was consistent for six years. I was all over the place, but my ego didn't really allow me to separate that. And it was just like, you've been a blue belt for six years. You better be better than you are. Right. So like that whole thing was like, I mean, I basically lost like everything at blue belt. I don't even know. I might've won like one match at blue belt because I was just in my head. It was the worst mental space for me. I couldn't stand losing. I would get, I would lose all the time. And my ego was just in the freaking way all the time. And it really wasn't until I, I was able to uncover a lot of those mental blocks and be real of what was holding me back and realize like, okay, like you don't like failing. And you know, just the, the fear of failure, the fear of um, uh, the perfectionism, the fear of judgments of others. I realized that that was dictating my performance. And I was, you know, the ego inside of me was like, why are you letting that, you know, <laughs> like, why are you letting that dictate your performance? So then I was on another quest where I was like, okay, well, I don't want this to be the case. I was like, why did I start jujitsu? You know, I really had to get clear again on, cause I started to just hit that lull where I was like, I don't feel motivated. I don't really want to go to class. I'm, you know, I, I just feel like I'm not getting better, you know? And so, and the mental game wasn't helping. So I was like, I need to get clear on like, why did I start? Where was my passion back at White Belt? And, and why was I so passionate about it? How can I infuse that passion back into right now so that I can feel passionate about it and, and continue why I started? And it really came down to having fun and being always being the student, no matter, no matter what, as far as you progressing through the ranks, like not ever feeling like, like it's very common for people to, you know, graduate into like a purple belt. And then all of a sudden they think they know everything and then they'll leave their gym. Right. I know this all the time. People will just leave their gym um, because they think that they know it all. And I feel like as long as you always adopt that student mindset and be curious, that insatiable curiosity that I had as a kid, like bringing that back into it, bringing fun back into jujitsu. One of the biggest things I realized was I was not having fun. <laughs> and I'm like, no one, no wonder I don't like it. I mean, nobody likes to do something that doesn't make them feel like they're having fun. So I started to switch that mindset and really be prioritizing fun in everything. So I started just dancing more like between my matches instead of being like hyper-focused where my mind was just like racing. I was like, let me dance and like be loosey goosey and like bring that element back into it. And it, once I hit purple belt, I mean, it was nothing but an upswing for me. Purple belt was, I mean, I don't know that I, I might've lost one match of purple, but honestly, it might've been like my first match. Other than that, I was, I won like every match at purple belt that I can think of. Maybe not, maybe I think pants or something might've lost. Um, but for the most part, especially compared to blue belt, I was on an upswing and I was hitting things that I was working on. I just felt so much more motivated, so much more in flow and it really showed. And honestly, the difference, I always tell people the difference of my performance was me being in my own way or not. If I lost, if I lost, it was because I was in my head. If I won, it was because I was out of my head. And that's like the simplest way to put it. <laughs> Okay, so this is really interesting, because throughout this conversation, I've heard so many examples of you realizing that you have flaws in your thinking and being able to kind of recognize it and then make a change. Um, and I think that you're very adept at this, being able to see, okay, I'm lying to myself here. Oh, okay, I'm being a hypocrite. Oh, okay, I'm telling myself a story that's not serving me or is not exactly true. How have you become so adept at identifying those moments and changing your behavior. Um, is that something that you're even aware of? Or is that something that you've actually consciously worked to develop? Yeah, I think part of it, um, part of it was innate in me, like from young ages to be like, Oh, well, like that insatiable curiosity. I think that was always like a fundamental part of it. Because when something would happen, my first question was why? 
Like I never just like let something happen. It was always like, why did that happen? You know, was it something I did that caused this outcome? Like I was, it's just that part is innate. What helped me develop it over the years is only one thing, self-observation. Basically constantly observing myself from an objective perspective as much as possible. With what I do, I learned, and I think it's also with what, I, what I've learned over the years through nutrition where I tell people all the time in a joking way, I'm not claiming to be a psychologist, but in a joking way, I tell people I'm, I'm more of a psychologist than I am a nutritionist. And it's because nutrition, like I tell people all the time, is easy. It's easy to understand that chicken is a protein source. But what's hard about nutrition is the habits that we have around nutrition and our belief systems. So what I learned through my own healing was that it wasn't the fact that I was eating a certain way. It was what was the root of my behaviors that were causing me. So what was the root of my behavior when I was eating, um, when I was binging? It was a form of control. I needed to, like, I didn't have control in my life. There was a lot going on in my life. So like, I, I used food as a form of control because it was the only thing I felt that made me feel safe. In college, I used food as a form of control. I was over-exercising over as well as a form of control. And um, it wasn't until I was able to really just get real with observing all of that that really helped me be able to say, hey, is this actually what's true for me? Or is this a habit that I've adopted over the years that is just kind of on an automatic pilot? And if it was something that was hindering me and it was an automatic pilot, I was like, well, it's up to me to change that. So part of it was a natural in, uh, curiosity and the other part of it is using that curiosity to shift my beliefs and thoughts because that really is the root of all behavior. Okay, awesome. I just wanted to ask because I've been so impressed in this conversation with how you sort of assess and evaluate how you think and are able to identify and then change flaws in your thinking. So I just was curious where that came from. Is there a way that you sort of systematize that self-observation, whether it's meditation or journaling or something else? 100% is breath work. Yeah, breath work is the answer to, and you know, to the pieces of the puzzle that I've been accumulating over the years. Um, because what breathwork does is it helps us, basically we're entering an altered state of consciousness, just like in meditation. But where I found, because I've tried meditation for years and I, I, I don't want to say I failed, but the whole point of meditation is to be the observer and to be in like with the thoughts, but not as your thoughts. But I always had an issue with that because being somebody who was go, go, go all the time, being somebody who was constantly in my head, it was really hard for me to just lay there and pretend to not be in my head. The difference between meditation and breath work, or I should say meditation is so much more powerful after breath work. And the reason is breath work is a tangible tool that we can focus on that actually through practice and through consistency, it pulls us out of our head to be in a more grounded present space. And then from that place is where we can meditate because that's what's going to help us get out of our head. Does that make sense? Like the difference between just like lying there in meditation versus having a tool that actually helps us through focusing on the breath, all of a sudden, five minutes later, you're out of your head because you're, it's pulling us into a deeper part of ourselves just by our focus and attention being on our breath. And that was the missing link for me because I would try meditation all the time and I would like last a minute and I'd be like, okay, I'm bored. And I would just get up because I didn't have anything to help me. I was just kind of lying there, but breath work was like this tangible thing that I was like, okay, all I got to do is breathe. That seems easy enough. I just got to focus on this pattern and breathe. And then all of a sudden I was kind of in this altered state of consciousness where I was the observer. And then I finally understood what it meant like to be and not do which was the biggest revelation in my entire life thus far, because my whole life is very much achievement based where I try to achieve all the things and learn all the things. And it's always about doing, but what I realized the missing factor was for me and bringing this full circle was that it's really about being not doing doing is kind of icing on the cake. It's, it's beautiful things that decorate life, 
but it's your being and your energy within yourself that actually matters most. And I was never actually being. I was, I was doing and, and uh, putting myself in situations that would actually avoid me from actually feeling into my body. So I would use food as a coping mechanism. I would use exercise as a coping mechanism instead of actually addressing how I was feeling inside. And so that was really the piece that brought it home for me. And that's why I literally like signed up and I was like, I'm becoming a facilitator. I'm going to do this and I'm going to teach it to the world because this means this is so much more important. I don't want to say then nutrition, but this is the, this is going to be the fundamental piece that really helps shift people's relationship to nutrition. All right. So now we've talked about so many different dimensions and different pillars of health from movement to nutrition to breath work and mindfulness and kind of the psychoanalyzation um, that we've talked about throughout this entire conversation. What are we missing? What other pillars of health are really important? Yeah. So um, just to kind of my pillars of health, I guess, and I call them pillars of performance with what I teach. But I mean, it applies to health too. And the way I look at performance is not just jujitsu, but it's about human optimization. Um, that's kind of what I'm obsessed with. So it's about, again, that's kind of that idea of thriving. Like if I had to put like a word to it, thriving is human optimization. It's how can we optimize ourselves in every single area. And so training is one of them. So that's more movement. So it's not just jujitsu. It's just moving your body to keep your body healthy. Nutrition, obviously we cover nutrition. Mindset, so that's a lot of the breath work, a lot of the rewiring. Um, of old beliefs and that kind of stuff. Self-care is another thing that I often loop in with mindset, Um, but self-care is in and of itself something really important. So this is more of the the stillness and the slowing down of things versus training. It's really being sure, making sure that you are balancing other areas of your life, um, feeling, setting boundaries in your life. So instead of just people pleasing or instead of kind of saying yes to things that you mean to say no of. It's setting certain boundaries in your life so that you have a bandwidth to be able to do all the things you want to do. A lot of us, when we, I call this bleeding energy, when we just try to um, satisfy every single person all the time, we're basically bleeding our energy and we're not preserving our energy, which is our most precious resource. So self-care is the act of filling up your cup so that you have a lot of energy, an abundant amount of energy to then be able to give to people. What's often happening is people and athletes are doing for everybody else first and neglecting their own basic needs and your own basic needs. When you have an empty cup, you're giving out of a place of obligation. You're giving out of a place of resentment. You're not actually giving because you love the person or you want to see them thrive. giving because you feel like you have to because you're stuck in this pattern of feeling judged, feeling like they're going to, you know, not like you anymore. And nobody wants to get pity giving, right? So when you fill your cup up first and you focus on you, you actually do the world a service by focusing on the best thriving version of yourself and then putting that energy out into the world. So that's a huge element that I teach that makes or breaks your life, honestly. And that's self-care. Um, and then the other two that we didn't really touch on is recovery and sleep, which are my other pillars. So recovery is just the the act of making sure that you're not training all the time. You're not moving your body too much. And even if it's not training, it's, there's people who are working 60 hour shifts and it's like, part of that could be a coping mechanism because a lot of people, and it's finding that balance because a lot of people will use work as a way to escape reality because they don't want to address other things in their life. So recovery is so important for the slowing down. And again, the stress management, honestly, it's about the stress management element from physical stress of constantly feeling overworked and mental stress, feeling mentally overworked. You need to find that balance. And then that all comes down to hormones. Our hormones are dramatically affected through stress. So it's so imperative that we need to balance our stress and be really, really conscious of our stress to run optimally. And then sleep is also important because that's literally where we restore and we rejuvenate all our hormones, our metabolic systems. 
um, and our mind takes a break from all the chatter throughout the day. Like there's so much important there. And those are the two things that are really, really neglected. All right. Thank you so much for that. Um, we're nearing the hour mark. And while I had a ton of questions that I wanted to ask you about your business and more about your jujitsu journey and training, maybe that's something we have to save for another time. Um, which is a great excuse to have you back on if you want to come. Um, but I want to give you an opportunity right now to tell everyone what you're doing, a little bit more about your business, what you offer, and where they can find you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We can totally dive into a, a whole other podcast about like the businessy side of things, and uh, I'd love to dive into that stuff. I've been doing business for a while now, um, kind of not on my own terms, like kind of just like... It, it just assumed my life all of a sudden, um, but I, you know, I loved it. I learned a lot, so I would love to share the knowledge I've learned through being a business owner on a different podcast for sure. But in the meantime, um, my the the biggest place where you can kind of find me and connect to me is Instagram. Is kind of where I'm hanging out all the time. So my Instagram handle is Natty Boss R D N A T T I E. Um, that's honestly where I'm at all the time. I'm doing uh, educational stories all the time. I'm constantly trying to educate. It's one of the biggest values of mine is educating. And I believe knowledge is power. And so getting the right knowledge out there is really important for me. So um, my posts are very educational. My stories are very educational. So there's that piece of it. The other thing is I have a free Facebook group that is an amazing resource for all female athletes. Um, and it's, I'm really bad. I don't even know the name of it because it's so long, <laughs> but it's the, the, uh, the, don't even worry about it. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So basically I would just say go there because every Tuesday I dedicate, you know, sometimes an hour of my time up to an hour of a free Facebook live where I cover all different kinds of topics. So this is really like invaluable time. So it's basically coaching time where you can ask me questions and you get one-on-one -on -one kind of like coaching and, and just um, educational content, being able to see my face, which is really important for me um, to not just be a person behind the screen, but actually see you and communicate to you. Um, so in addition to that, every day there's, there's posts on enhancing your performance in the different pillars that we talked about. So that's a free resource. And then basically my signature shindig of what I do is my coaching program. So my coaching program is the performance blueprint it's an eight-week lifestyle transformation program. I can't say that enough. It's a lifestyle transformation program. So some people come to me and they're like, oh, hey, I want a diet plan. And I'm like, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't do diet plans because diet plans are not sustainable. They don't work. I'm all about lifestyle and changing your lifestyle on a deep, deep, deep level so that you can exactly what you said so you can thrive. And my whole thing, and it's funny that thriving is something that's a value of yours because it's definitely a value of mine as well. I always tell people, you know, do you want to survive or do you want to thrive? You know, so are you just living life to survive the bare minimum or are you looking to thrive in every area of your life? Because that's kind of one of the interview questions I ask people on my call is, you know, do you want to thrive? Because at the end of this program, you're going to be in a place where you're thriving. And that's what I'm looking for people who don't want to settle and they're ready to step up. So this coaching program is basically where I take you through the six pillars. Um, the first five weeks, we dive deep into a lot of educational material, coaching calls every single week. And then the last three weeks are really about going deeper with the material. So we just really establish positive habits and make sure that they're deep rooted so that you feel really confident post-program and what you've learned. Um, and you're not feeling like, by the time you've done the program, you're gonna have broken a lot of disempowering habits and implemented a lot of positive empowering habits that are gonna sustain your long-term goals in life and jujitsu. So that is the performance blueprint where I kind of enroll every two months or so. So this new class starts March 30th, but the next one will be in June. And for people who are competitors, I absolutely recommend it just in general, um, any athlete, female jiu-jitsu athlete, but specifically for competitors, because with you having a lot of extra training and all these big goals, it's so important that you don't put these other areas in the back burner anymore, because you know, you're not going to be setting yourself up for success. So it's so important as a uh, competitor to make sure that you are doing the best that you can in these areas and not setting yourself up for, you know, failure. 
Okay, so this was really awesome. Um, I'm glad that everyone now knows where they can find you. Um, and I just want to, we're about to wrap up, and I just want to acknowledge you for all of the awesome work that you're doing out in the world with women, with jujiterias, with female athletes. Um, I know that you're providing such a wealth of information, helping people heal from their eating disorders, helping people optimize their life and their nutrition. Um, and I just want to, I mean, honor you for that and acknowledge you for that. Um, I think that you're doing a lot of really great work and I think our audience is really going to enjoy um, all the value that you brought today to this conversation. So thanks so much for sitting down with me. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. I love sharing just my journey too, um, especially because it's so easy to see, again, everybody knows us, the highlight reels on Instagram. I do my best to really share the not so highlight and just share my stories. Um, but it's just, it just makes it that much more real, especially coming from a professional because it can, a lot of people feel that professionals kind of, you know, not that they're perfect, but they don't really see a lot of the flaws or what got them where they are. And so it's so important for me to actually show people the, the deep roots of what got me where I am and also why I'm so passionate about it. Um, because it really is something that's changed my life. And at this point has changed dozens of women's lives and, you know, I'm only getting started. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the first episode of the Alchemize podcast. Next week, we're going to be bringing you another expert who will equip you with more tools to alchemize your human potential and thrive. If you liked what you heard today, please share it and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, go check out the awesome resources that Natty has to offer. The links are in the show notes on our blog at alchemizefightwear.com. Thanks for listening.